know, before we put the uh, list of verses that the Beatitudes that we've covered so far, let's just uh, kind of check for a minute to see what we remember as we uh, get ready to look at our next Beatitude today. As you know, we've been covering the Beatitudes along with all of the other campuses of Centerpoint. So the first one, you finish up the second part. I'll read the first part. Blessed are the poor. I, I read the Luke version. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. And then today, you can go ahead and put it up on the screen, Stephanie. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a great privilege. Several years ago, and I know there's a few in this room that can identify with this story I'm going to tell. Um, since I was seven or eight years old, I've had to wear glasses. And uh, the glasses that I've had to wear over the years are were way thicker uh, in lens thickness and uh, a much more significant correction than the glasses that I'm wearing right now. And only through the miraculous ability of surgeons to do cataract removal a few years ago, I will never forget how that morning when... I came out of surgery for the first cataract to come out of my right eye. And I opened my eyes and I could see clearly across the room for the first time in like over 50 years. I mean, and those of you that have had cataract surgery know what I'm talking about. It was like I had been born again, again. I was able to see in such a way that I never, I, I really didn't even know what that was like. And then on top of all of that, one of the things that happens as a side effect of cataract surgery is sometimes a film builds up on the eye. I didn't know that, but I did notice that, wow, it wasn't quite as clear a year ago. And an optometrist said, hey, I noticed that you've got this buildup of this film. And he said, they can take care of it. I said, really? And he said, yeah, they just do a laser and it's kind of like cellophane over your eye. And so I went to an op ophthalmologist uh, uh, earlier this year, bef actually right before COVID hit, and he used laser in both eyes. And I remember walking one day with Kathy, and I thought, why is the, the colors so more vivid? The greens were greener, and the oranges were more orange, and all of it, the blue was bluer, and I realized, I could see again more clearly. And so I was able to see in such a way that it made all of the difference in the world. And as we look at this beatitude today, we are talking about something that is not an expectation of us, that somehow we have to strive and, and fuss and, and connive some way to be pure at heart. It's a gift of God. It's a gift from God to purify our hearts as a result of what's rooted in us, which is being poor in spirit and saying, I don't have anything to bring to the table. It's a result of us mourning over what we don't have and realizing we don't have anything to offer and we need the comfort of God to help us. It's realizing that our 
we, as we don't have anything to bring, we bring with meekness to the table that says, oh God, if you could use me, please use me. And then we start showing mercy and realize it's easier to show mercy because we've received so much mercy. And then as a result of all that, God's purifying our hearts. And the reality is, we start seeing things that we never thought possible before. I think it was really brilliant of Jesus that he didn't put this beatitude first. Because we're all inclined to try to do everything we can to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do all the self-help tricks and everything else to be pure at heart. And it never was about doing something. It was about being what he's called us to be. If he had put it first, we would have tried to produce something. But by putting it after all those things that are rooted in us, all of a sudden we realize there's something changed in us. And as a result of that, we start seeing things different. We don't do what uh, the prophets were doing when Elisha confronted them at Mount Carmel. And he says, you keep limping between two different opinions. You know, one of the ways you can test if you're growing in God is you realize you become more singular and focused towards God. You become like the Olympic runner that's got his eye on the end of the prize. He's got his eye on that tape at the end of the race. And it's like, everybody else, get out of my way. And there's nothing else that's going to distract me from reaching that. And that's what happens if we have purity of heart. Purity of heart ultimately is this gift from God to empower us to see Him more clearly and to see how He sees. That's why we're celebrating today what we're celebrating. It's because we've been blessed to be in partnership with someone like Brian McMillan, who out of God working in his heart and giving him purity of heart, he was able to see some things down the road. Seeing things that some other people have not even seen yet. And purity of heart is this gift that helps us to see our, how, how he sees, and it changes what Jesus or what the prophet said to uh, what God said to the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Because of purity of thought or purity of heart, that all changes. Because now my ways are becoming his ways. And my thoughts are becoming his thoughts because I can see them more clearly. And so God gives us this inclination in our hearts toward his, towards, towards him. And we get to fulfill what the psalmist said when he says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. And in this beatitude, there's three key words I just want us to take a few minutes to look at. The first one is the word heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 11 that says, I will give them one undivided heart. And a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. God's the one who gives us a pure heart. Aren't you glad that you don't have to try to earn it? And here's the reality though. As he gives us purity of heart, We can either sabotage it or we can nurture it. 
And he's giving us, he's given us, every human being, a human conscience, a, 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 an ability to embrace what God has in their life and to enjoy purity of heart. However, if we rebel against what God's inclining us to too often, the result is instead of softness of heart, we end up with hardness of heart. And when your heart is hard because you're bitter towards God in relationship to something that's happened in your life, or if you're bitter towards someone else, hardness of heart makes it more and more difficult to see what God sees. It's almost impossible to change your heart simply through a decision of the will because God promises to give us a soft heart. He's the one that gives us the heart of flesh. It's the Holy Spirit that's now living in us that changes our heart and replaces what was a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And this heart, this heart of ours, is, is the seat of the emotions. My heart will not fear. My heart leaps for joy. My heart is grieved. We even start grieving for the things that grieve God. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's the seed of reason. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? As those listened to Peter at the day of Pentecost, it says as they listened to the words of the gospel, as God gave these people purity of heart, the beginning of that was they were cut to their heart. Their heart was cut with a sense of something's wrong with our heart. It's the root of our desires. Jesus says later in Matthew 5, 20, 28, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. It's associated with daily decision-making. Give, Paul says, when you give to the church or when you give to a ministry, give generously as you have decided in your heart. So it's out of the heart so many things can happen. It's the seed of our faith, for it's with your heart that you believe. And you're justified. And why do we want purity of heart, which is the second word? It's pretty simple because one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament, King David. Why did God choose him? Because the scripture says God looks first at the heart. He searches the heart. And this purity is an interesting word because it means... This is kind of gross for just a moment. But it's the purgation of the digestive system. I guess you could say it's kind of like a spiritual... Don't say it. You got the picture? <laughs> also, from a mental health perspective, it's the purging of all fears. It's like, I'm not afraid anymore. It's, it's the same word that's used to describe the, 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 uh, cloth, the cloth or the wrap, the linen cloth that Joseph of Arimathea wrapped Jesus in, interestingly enough. It's the same word that's used to describe the, the streets of gold, the city of pure gold. Now, interestingly enough, it's important for us to remember this is not about perfection. Conviction of sin and purity of heart are not incompatible. If you're convicted about something, it doesn't mean that you're, 
not experiencing purity of heart. In fact, it probably means that even more. Purity of heart also doesn't mean sinlessness of life. It's not like sinless perfection that we're talking about. Because if that were true, nobody would ever be pure in heart. And consequently, no one ever would ever be able to see God. You and I as Christians in this life are always sinners in the process of recovery. We grow, we make progress, but none of us ever become all that God has called us to be because we're in this process of purity of heart and seeing God more clearly. Purity of heart and seeing God more clearly. It continues to happen. Purity of heart, what does it mean? It means sincerity. It means when I say I trust God, I'm unequivocally trusting God. And for us to go forward with all we're doing, everybody, we've got to have purity of heart. We have to be unequivocal. That's why I'm so grateful for all that Jay and Jeff have done and and our, our leaders have done in this process that we've been in the last several months because they were they've been unequivocal single-minded and have displayed purity of heart and it's been amazing it was even amazing last friday in this meeting with this committee it's like the light bulbs turned on it was like revelation poured out we knew what we needed to say in order to respond to certain situations in order to make progress that happens because of purity of heart Purity of heart also includes integrity. Integrity means everything is integrated and not disintegrated in different pieces. It means that if I say what I say, you know that I'm going to follow through. The scriptures, the Proverbs say, a wise man swears to his own hurt. And dear God, this is the only thing I'm going to say about politics today. If only we could have purity of heart in our political system today. And then finally, purity of heart means fervency. It means we're never satisfied with just purity of doctrine and philosophy, nor even acceptable outward behavior. We are fervent. We're not just like, hey, you know, it's okay, whatever. You know, as long as we're just kind of faithful to the scripture and we kind of, as long as we're on track, it's okay. No, it's like a fire that burns in us that says, no, this is what the scriptures say. This is what the scriptures mean. And purity of heart is desperate for that to be displayed. The last word is the word seeing. Where do they see God? Where do we see God? The seeing in this beatitude means we start seeing God show up in the most unexpected places. I'm so fascinated hearing Melanie's story because Melanie grew up with parents who were Wycliffe Bible translators, right? And now as God continues to open her spiritual eyes, what he did in her life in those formative years is going to give her a greater ability to discern situations and circumstances here from his perspective. 
That's why our relationship with God and the privilege that we have for him to purify our hearts is never wasted because he's always developing us for the next part of the journey. The, the dream that Kathy had that's on the painting in the back about what's happened, what's, what could happen in Sunnybrook, we, we didn't know what that meant. That was in 2002. And here we are 10 years later, and now we see it, and we go, oh, now I see what that meant. Sometimes purity of heart, the Lord reveals to us just enough for us to be able to see so that we know which way to go so we get to the next turn in the road. What does it mean to see God? You get to see what He sees. You get to see from heaven's perspective. We get to really see what it looks like to bring heaven down to earth. And so this is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, when he was praying for the Ephesians, and he said, I, don't cease, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and watch this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Actually, at the end of the day, everybody, it doesn't really matter what else we get out of the bargain. If we get to see more and more clearly what he's called us to, that's all that really matters. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about giving us purity of heart. Paul goes on to say, what are, help you to see what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion not only in this age but also in the age to come. I remember my friend J.D. Monti, Toledo, Ohio. And I lost count of the number of times that J.D. would begin to share different things about his relationship to Jesus Christ. And almost every conversation, it never failed. J.D.'s voice would begin to quiver. Tears would begin to form in his eyes. <laughs> he would say, through it all, it's been worth everything you've just shared with me. Even times when he was misunderstood, even times when he was dismissed from a position in his church, through it all, he was able to see his calling and his purpose as God gave him the privilege to have a purified heart. We get to see the one who helped Moses lead the Israelites through the Red Sea. We get to see him like he is and be in true relationship with him. That's why James says, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because it's not, it's not a rebuke so much as, you know, you, how could you be so stupid? It's like, you are missing out what I have for you if you don't let me work in your life and purify your heart. That's the sad thing about we were talking about this at the teaching team meeting. I think somebody, Brian, used the word car carnal Christian, carnality. 
I think, I think this explains it. How many of you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know someone that's been a Christian, quote-unquote, for a long time, but it seems like they never, never grow in their faith? They're still complaining about the same things that they were complaining about 20 years ago. It's like something never changes. I think, I think what's not changing is they're not staying rooted in those first three Beatitudes and making sure that's happening so that God can purify their hearts. And I would say, everybody, if you find yourself this morning in a place where you've gotten bitter or there's been a hardness in your faith, you've got to go back to the beginning of the Beatitudes and let God work through the layers that He needs to work. He needs to till the soil and dig up the roots because the only way you're going to get to purity of heart is to make sure those things are in place. We have to get back to the basics. So how do we how do we practice? What do we do to nurture this purity of heart? And I just want to give you a few things really quickly. First of all, we listen. How do we listen? We listen to the Word of God. We listen to His Word spoken. We listen to His Word as we read it. It's interesting, Paul says to the Ephesians, Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Can I encourage you to do something this week as you do your daily devotions, which I hope you do? Before you begin, say, Lord, would you take the Word today and use it to wash over my heart? Purify my heart. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. We do it through worship. I don't know about you, but every time we participate together here in worship, I just always feel better. I feel like something's been purged. You know what I'm saying? There's something, it's like something just gets cleaned out. And that's the fulfillment of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus is the light of the world who came in the darkness didn't comprehend him. So, as we finish this morning, let me end with this last illustration. Because you may be thinking, there's junk in my heart that I can't ever get rid of. There's dirt. There's residue that's been there for a long time. But just remind yourself this morning from this story, John chapter 9, of what Jesus can and wants to do in all of our lives. Remember, it's the story where Jesus encounters a blind man. And Jesus, in the beginning of that story, says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. One of the downsides of being able to see him more clearly is it seems to me like headlights are a lot brighter than they used to be. And then Jesus, as he's encountering this blind man who's in front of him that can't see, 
after he said, I'm the light of the world, and this blind man has no idea what that means because he can't see the light. And he can't see Jesus bending down on his knees. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. He spit in the dirt. And in the same way, he spits into the dirt of our lives. And he spit in the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing and he said, now I can see. I was blind, but now I see. And so I want to encourage us this morning, as we get ready in just a few moments to sing our last song and finish up our time together, let Jesus reach into the dirt of our lives, into the dirt of your life, and let's ask him this morning, Lord, give us fresh eyes to see. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Put your hand over your heart. You know the dirt you feel. You, you know what's there that shouldn't be there. You know the areas that have gotten hardened. And so does God. So Lord, as we put our hands over our heart right now, we ask you that you, we give you permission to begin to come in with your water, the water of your word, the refreshing of worship, and to soften those hard places in our heart so that when we start looking at different situations in our life, even today, and as we go into this week, that the end result is that we see things more clearly than ever before because we're seeing like you see. Lord, we thank you for that privilege and we thank you for working in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship together?